Well, in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison. And he says the following statement in verse 11. He said, or verse 10, he says, I, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other words, the church is once involved in supporting him. And then he says this, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. That's a great word, content, which means to be satisfied deeply. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to live in poverty, and I know how to live in affluence. I know how to abound and how to be abased. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret of being content. Now, now it's interesting, most people who know the text and know the history say that Paul was using the word secret with great intentionality because in the early church, there was a group of people called the Gnostics that began to form. And the Gnostics said that the only way you could know God who is undefinable and who really is unknowable, and we can know him just a little bit, is to have secret passwords or secret code words or secret whatever. So Paul says, I'm going to tell you the true secret to contentment. I'm going to tell you the true secret to being able to survive in difficult times and to thrive in good times. And he says, here's the secret, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so this, the issue is the glory and the grandeur and magnificence of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, Verse 11, he's talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system, and he says that every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly, day after day, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And then he says later, three verses later, Therefore, brothers, based upon the one sacrifice of Christ that forever fulfilled the sacrificial system, based upon the fact that Christ is the ultimate high priest, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain that is his body, his fleshly death on the cross. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast our confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So he says, therefore, because there is only one high priest who made one sacrifice for sin and fulfilled the Old Testament sacrificial system, let us draw near with confidence. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith and the hope we profess, because he who called us is faithful. May we be a faithful people.
May we be swallowed up in the glory and goodness of Christ. As the old hymn says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He, he came to change us and make us people who reflect the glory and majesty of his name. It's all about Christ. There's an article in the Washington Post, an editorial three weeks ago, written by a wonderfully written art editorial by a woman named Elena Massey, who's out of Brooklyn, and it's entitled, How to Take Christ Out of Christianity. And she says, you know, my heritage is the Christian faith, so I want to hold on to my heritage without bothering about who Jesus is. I don't buy that, but I want to hold on to my heritage. And so she writes this editorial, which is very interesting. She says, you know, I, I really tried to pursue the reality of, of God and find out who God is. She says, I even went to divinity school. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I, I checked on the internet where she went to divinity school. She went to Yale. Now, now some of you, Yale, Yale's a great school, but Yale Divinity School is postmodern, liberal. They don't define God. They don't try to find God. So, so saying I pursued the knowledge of God in any shape, form, or fashion by going to Yale is like saying I went to the panhandle of Texas to learn how to study Himalayan mountain formations. It just doesn't work. So I thought that was pretty disingenuous. But she went on and she says this. She says, I, I want to hold on to a tradition without bothering with Christ. She says, I want to hold on to my ancestral tradition, which is Christian, my ethnic tradition, which happens to be Christian, and my cultural connection. She says, I tell people I'm a cultural Christian, meaning that's my heritage. I joined a long group of my friends, a large group who say, we are looking for communities and for memories from our backgrounds without being overwhelmed with the definition of God because we don't believe God exists. And she talks about a new group assembly that's being formed in Europe. And she says, I long for that to come to Brooklyn. He says, the motto of this group is, quote, live better, help often, wonder more, close quote. And its mission is, quote, to help everyone find and fulfill their full potential without bothering with ever thinking about the character and the definition of God. And I thought the only problem with taking Christ out of Christianity is if you take Christ out of Christianity, you have no Christianity. It's all about Jesus. Paul said with searching clarity. If Christ is not risen from the dead, their preaching is futile and you are dead in your sins. So church, it's got to be about the reality of who Christ is. And that's why we've been in Romans 12 the last few weeks, well, the last couple of months. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul is talking about, as we've structured it, Clarity, doctrinal clarity leads to unity of purpose and thought, which leads to charity or love in the world. And we're working through that sequential order. Clarity of doctrine, unity of spirit, and charity or love in the world. And then Romans 12, 1 says, I, I plead with you, I beseech you, I beg you, based upon the tender mercies of Jesus Christ. And that's the key. Romans 1 through 11, as you contemplate the tender mercies of the cross of Jesus, as you contemplate the outpoured Holy Spirit that allows us, Romans 8, to cry out, Abba, Father, as you contemplate that if God is for us in Christ, who can be against us, as you contemplate that nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans 8, as you contemplate all these things, I appeal to you according to the tender mercies of God. 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service. He says the end result of understanding the tender mercies of God is to worship in a reasonable, glorious, Christ-honoring fashion. And as you do that, he says, you will not be conformed to the standards of this world, but you'll be transformed by the renewal of your mind as the truth of the gospel grips your heart. It's just, a glory, just the way it hangs together. It's so glorious. And as you are renewed in your mind, you'll live out your faith. And as you live out your faith and as you walk through life, you'll make good decisions and you'll discern what is the will of God that is good and is acceptable and it is perfect. Good means it's beneficial. Acceptable means that it's, that it's beautiful. And beneficial means it makes you complete. Now, I want that. But it begins with the, the tender mercies of God. Reasonable worship transformed, not conformed, understanding the glorious will of God. And then he says this, as all that happens, verse 3, he says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, as, you, as you're swallowed up in the greatness of Christ, you will not be self-consumed, you'll be Christ-consumed. You'll major on the Trinitarian glory of God You'll not think of yourself more highly, but you'll think of yourself with a sober judgment. I will one day stand before God, and I will give an account. My life has eternal significance and consequences. And as you do that, he says, then you're involved in the community of faith. We're going to go through verses 4 through 8 this morning. This is what he says. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ, according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if teaching as one who teaches, in exhortation as one who exhorts. If you contribute, do so with generosity. If you lead, do so with zeal. If you do acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. So, so in this passage, the Apostle Paul says the foundation has got to be Christ, clarity of doctrine, which leads to unity of spirit and purpose, which results in charity to the world. He says in this passage several things. He says, first of all, we are one body with many members. He says, secondly, not all have the same function. Every person here who's been named a child of God, who by faith has come to the cross of Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit, and you've been given a gift or gifts to bless the body of Christ and to be extended into the world. All these gifts are not mentioned. This is just a smattering of gifts here. He mentions seven. We are members of one another, thirdly. Fourthly, he says, we're to use our spiritual gifts for the good of those around us. Now, I'm going to walk through these gifts very quickly and make some comments about them. The first gift he mentions is prophecy. Now, this is controversial, especially the last 30 years in the church, but let me just go give you a bird's eye view from 30,000 feet. Prophecy in the New Testament, you'd have an assembly, men and women, and before they had the apostolic teaching put together, before they had the New Testament. And some men would stand up and say, thus says the Lord. Boom. They would give a message. 
Now, the church historically, since 350, with 90% of the cases, has believed that prophecy was fulfilled when the New Testament was put together. So that's what we believe. We believe that God can still speak in supernatural ways occasionally, but by far and away, the normative means by which God communicates in 99.96% of the time is through the Bible, through understanding and applying the Word of God. There's a hymn, an old hymn that says, How firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? That's the question. The answer is he can't. He's, he's told us everything we need to know. Second Peter 1 says everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us in the apostolic message. So we would say today, prophecy, as far as the New Testament gift of being a revelatory message from God, has been fulfilled by the New Testament. So let's go through the other gifts. And I'll be glad to talk to you about that afterwards if you want to talk about it. I said this, he said, he said if, if your gift is service, then serve. And if your gift is teaching, then you teach. If your gift is exhortation, which means to come alongside and, and build up or challenge, exhort. If your gift is contributing, do it with generosity. If your gift is leadership, do it with zeal. If it's mercy, do it with cheerfulness. And listen to me. Every one of these six gifts that I just read should be something that every believer strives for. But some people have been gifted to take it to a new level. I'll give you a few examples. Teaching. I enjoy teaching the Bible. God has given me the gift of teaching. I hope you agree with that. I've been here a long time, right? So, so teaching. Now, so I love to read. I'm reading all the time. And sometimes I'll ask you, what are you reading? Now, everybody here should be reading. And you kind of give me that blank look. And I kind of go, well, yeah, I'll be reading. So I have to be very careful about it. You should be doing this and this and this. So even within the gift of teaching, though, there are degrees of, of giftedness. For example, I named my son after a guy named John Owen. He's a Puritan, died in the 1660s. John Owen's collected works, and they're not all, this are all of his works, but his collected works are in 16 volumes, all that thick, all 700 pages with small print. In his life, somebody, a group came up and said, we don't believe in the perseverance of the saints, which perseverance of the saints means that once you're in a covenant of grace with the living God and you've trusted in Christ, you're sealed by the Spirit and you can never be taken from the Father's hands. We believe that, okay? So they, they questioned that, and John Owen wrote a 700-page book defending the perseverance of the saints. I could write a three-page pamphlet, 700 pages. So it's good to be a genius. But I, I enjoyed that. Example. My son lived here several years ago. He and his mom loved to fish. I like to be with them. I like to fish kind of, sort of, as long as I'm catching a lot of fish all the time. But to be bluntly honest, if I'm out there, and I just love to, I like, I like to go out because it is beautiful. If I'm out there and I've been there 30 minutes and nothing's happening, I get bored. And so I put my, this happened time after time. Before we went out, I would sneak some books and a journal in a dry sea bag. And I put it in the forward compartment. And we're out there fishing. I put my fishing rod in the holder, and I start reading the book. And my son invariably said this to me, which is a wonderful thing to say to your dad, especially in light of next week being Father's Day. Dad, you are so weird. 
just weird. You're weird. I, I, I mean, we're fishing. You're reading. What is going on? So that's just, that, that's, I love to do that. I love to study and to think and take verses apart and to think through them, memorize them. So, that, so, you, so that, that's just an example. Okay. Another gift that's mentioned is the gift of contributing. And he says, if you have the gift of contributing, do it with generosity. Now hear me. Every person here is called to be a giver in the stewardship of life and your time, talents, and resources. I was reading an article in the New York Times recently with a well-known businessman who you would know his name, and he made the comment, I've never read that he's a Christ follower, but he said, I believe every person should give 10% of their income to charitable causes because it's good for you. And I was reading that, and I thought, okay, you're sitting there reading the New York Times, drinking your latte, and you read that, and you go, why? Really, Why? Give me a break. And so you dismiss him. But see, as believers, we believe in giving. And I believe that tithing is something we should push into. We believe in giving because Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. We believe in giving, giving because Jesus says, Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, flowing over into your laps. We, we believe in giving because the Bible says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Listen, listen to these verses. This is out of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. It says this, there's one who gives freely, yet increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters others will himself be watered. Man, wow. The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters other people will himself be watered. Because God blesses him with his spirit, with his power. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So everybody should give. But listen, there are people here who have the gift of contributing, and they're to do so generously. There are people sitting here who, when they give their tithe or a little bit more in faith promise or whatever, they think, oh, I wish I could give 30% or 40%. How can I get to a place where I can give 30 or 40 or more and more and more to really bless people and extend the kingdom? And if that is your gift, I pray God blesses you. I pray you discover cures to diseases. I pray you find a machine that can hover above a baby with a soiled diaper and remove the diaper and powder and clothe the diaper without touching the baby. I pray, you know, when you have a wrench and you've got to go back and forth because you can't, I, I pray you discover the way to make it go 360 just by the clap of your hands and you become a billionaire overnight because if you do, you're going to bless other people because that's your heart. And so if, you're, if you have the gift of contributing, may God bless you. And give generously. And he says, if you have the gift of, 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 of leadership, do it with zeal. Be just go for it. Be, be, just, just, be, just lean into the wind and, and go for it. He says, and if you have the gift of mercy, do it cheerfully. Mercy and service seem to go together, as I understand. If you have the gift of mercy, do it cheerfully. You minister to people who are hurting, who are down and out, and you do it with a cheerful, loving spirit. And you say, man, they say, thank you, but no, this, the honor is mine because when I, the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters other people will himself be watered. And I'm, I'm, I flourish by, by caring for other people, by listening and loving. And 
for example, this week we had vacation Bible school here. We had here in the announcements, we had 500 kids, we have 500 next week. We had have, we have men and women taking weeks off of their work to teach VBS. We had three elders in the balcony leading a VBS wave. VBS, VBS. I was going, wow. Steve Tuck does it well, he and his team. Here are just a couple of shots. On Friday, we had the Mount Pleasant Fire Department came in. We had a slip and slide. And Steve's been doing this a long time. Here's a shot from the first vacation Bible school Steve Tuck led here years ago. <laughs> but listen, they, they do it well. Let me tell you, let me tell you what happened to me, though. I, my job is to walk the halls and hug kids. That's what I do. And so I was just walking the halls and seeing these people, and I was walking the hall and I came across a room. I was just looking in and seeing the kids, and there was a woman sitting there. She and her husband are dear people who love the Lord, and they, they're just valiant. And they received some crushing news about some family concerns in the last few weeks. Crush, crushing, crushing. And I've, I've talked to them and prayed with them. And, and really, I would not blame her if she went home and closed the blinds and just sat in the darkness, which is what I, would, I tend to do. And I'm, 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 I'm standing there, and I look in the room, and she's got a child on her lap teaching children the Word of God. And I was moved. Remember the story in, in Exodus where Moses comes to a bush that represents the presence of God, and and the Lord says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're on, you're on holy ground. There, there are times in my life where I've experienced a conversation and I want to take my shoes off because I was on holy ground. At that moment, I felt I was on holy ground. Here's a woman living outside of herself to the glory of God. See, if you show mercy, do it with cheerfulness. So, so this, several points in this passage First of all, we're one body in Christ with many members. We're one body. Number two, all believers are gifted by the Lord. The Holy Spirit enters our life and brings a gift or a combination of gifts. Number three, if I'm to exercise my gifts, I go back to the, the passage in context, I've got to primarily be a worshiper. I've, I've got to primarily be a worshiper. I've got to, according to the tender mercies of the triune God, present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is my spiritual worship, and not be conformed to the patterns of this world, be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So I've, I've got to be a worshiper. So if I'm to bless people, I've got to be strong in the Lord. I've, I've got to minister out of the overflow of a relationship with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Next, if I do not exercise my gift, and if you're in this church, and this is your local body, and you're members of this if you're not exercising your gift, then to a degree, the body limps. The body limps. I need to exercise my gift with diligence and joy and sobriety because I've been called into fellowship with the living God. Example. Um, this past year, Duke University won the NCAA Basketball Championship. It was wonderful. 
Duke had, I hope you can follow sports illustrations, but Duke, Duke had a, a, a rotation of eight men. And rotation, now the coach likes to have eight or nine or maybe ten guys that he can rotate in and out and play, and the other guys don't get tired because it's a fast-paced game with great athletes. So, so Duke had eight men. One of the eight men that rotated in was a leading scorer two years ago, but he had received less playing time, and I, and I would watch him, and he was sour, he was dour, he wasn't encouraging his teammates, and it was just not good. And so in late January, now the tournament's going to start in four weeks, five weeks. In late January, the coach kicked him off the team. We still don't know exactly why. But the first time he's kicked anybody off the team in 35 years at Duke, first time. And so when I read that in the newspaper, I said, Duke's done. They're, they don't have the athletes to rotate in. They're, they're done. They can't, they can't run with the Kentuckys, who had really 12 men they could run in, who are all going to be first-round picks. They're incredible athletes. They, they just can't hang with those guys. Well, Duke started getting better. And they won the NCAA championship. And I think in part that if you have somebody on the team that's complaining and bitter and uncaring, he weighs everybody else down. I've talked to college coaches who said to me, he said, I gave this kid a full scholarship. He's a good athlete, but the primary reason I gave him a full scholarship is because of what he would bring to the locker room. What it means by that, he has a spirit that lifts everybody up, a can-do attitude, a less-press-forward attitude, and he's going to make a huge difference on this team. It's true in the body of Christ. See, if, if I exercise my gift with the spirit of go forward, honor the Lord, believe the promises of Scripture, it's good. So, so if I'm not exercising my gifts in a God-honoring way, the body limps. The next point is this. There are rich dividends. There are rich dividends. Some of the dividends are when we finish the Christian life and we have fought the good fight and we finished the race and we've kept the faith, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, we go to heaven and we hear the living God say, well done, good and faithful servant. There are rich dividends because if we live as under the Lord, then on the judgment day, the house of our faith will be seen as a house that's built with gold, silver, and precious stones, not wood, hay, and straw. They're rich dividends. They're rich dividends because these little kids this week and next week are hearing the Word, and they're memorizing the Word, and they're singing the Word, and the Bible says the Word planted in you will not return void. It may be this week, next week, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Dividends. For example, uh, there's a man named Pablo Picasso. Died in 1973. Spanish artist, incredibly gifted, no art. This is a picture he, he uh, drew in 1954. It's a portrait of his wife, Olga, just called Olga. The year after she died, he did another painting. It was entitled, uh, The Women of Algiers. Women of Algiers. Uh, the Women of Algiers uh, was sold in 1997, 1995, excuse me, for... $31.9 million. We just rounded up and saved $32 million. This past March, it was bought by an anonymous source for $180 million. 
went from $32 million to $180 million in 20 years. I wish I'd bought it in 1997. <laughs> I thought about it, but I passed on it, you know? But that's what you call a dividend. That's a dividend. That's the Word of God. It's better than Pablo Picasso portraits. It doesn't return void. So be faithful. Faithful as unto the Lord. And, and as, as we're faithful, church, realize this, that sin, unconfessed, unforsaken, clouds our vision of the glory of Christ and hampers us. We all deal with sin. Now, on this day when we took the Lord's Supper, we came in the presence of the living God and celebrated the cross. Just deal with issues that are left undone or done whereby we need to honor the Lord. It's incredible. The incredible reality is the incredible reality is that we belong to one another. That's just, that, that's, we just belong to one another. That's an amazing statement. That we are the body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. We belong to one another. Be faithful unto the end because God is forever faithful. Live, live with doctrinal clarity that leads to personal, corporate unity, which explodes into charity and love in our world. To the glory of God. Amen. Well, stand and let's close in prayer, please. Lord, today uh, we thank you for the scripture that is just clear. We thank you for the Apostle Paul appealing to us, begging us, beseeching us based upon the tender mercies of God to live in such a way that we are a spiritual worship as unto you. And as we do that, Lord, the patterns of this world do not seduce us, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And, and as we do that, as we experience life, we walk through knowing the will of God that's good and acceptable and perfect. And as we do those things, we think of ourselves with not a super hyper-inflated ego, but we think of ourselves with great biblical sobriety. And we use our giftedness to bless other people. So Lord, thank you for people here who've been faithful, faithful, faithful. Lord, let us be faithful. Let us be faithful. And I thank you that what we do in the name of Jesus is never done in vain. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much.